in branding, you can have like a short and impactful campaign on two, three days, maybe. Then for performance, you need more data for the algorithm to learn and feed it. So you really need to approach like, depending on if you want to go into like more customized audience or broader reach, you're using different mediums and, and formats. So that's been really helpful to learn in terms of like a 360 degree experience on marketing. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. All right, and we're on. Hello, everyone. So excited to be here today. We are pleased to welcome our guest, Mariana Kaiken. Mariana is currently the growth marketing lead at Zalando, where she has grown as a marketer over the past three years. Prior to Zalando, she has worked at Delivery Hero and Light in the Box. We're super excited to learn about your growth journey here, Mariana. So welcome and thank you for being here. Really excited to dig in. But let's start with some basics, shall we? Also, you can feel free to pronounce your name for our crowd since I totally butchered it <laughs> as you start. But let's hear a little about you, your name and pronunciation, a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing at Zalando. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, my last name, it's a bit complicated. <laughs> it is a Dutch last name, although I'm also Mexican. So to pronounce it, it has always, since I've been a kid, it's a bit of a challenge. So how you can <laughs> pronounce it is Kauken, Marina Kauken, or in Mexico, it will be spelled just like Wigan. So <laughs> both works, I'm just both <laughs> pronunciations. And yeah, I mean, the last three years working at Salando and the journey really started in Light in the Box in China, actually. So yeah, very exciting to have been in the general like digital marketing path for now eight years or so on. And yeah, currently I work and live in Berlin and sometimes work remotely from different locations as a company has currently a hybrid setup. So taking and enjoying those benefits to the max. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And you're dialing in from Mexico today, right? Yeah, that's correct. I'm dialing in from a place next to Pacific Coast called Acapulco. So they're currently, and to get back to like what kind of work I'm doing at Salando at the moment. So I have the Grow Marketing Lead role, and it's actually going to be one year I transfer to this part of the organization. And I have a team and we're working currently in developing new growth opportunities in terms of marketing. So the company in terms of performance marketing has been very based on feed-based machine learning advertisements. And currently we're doing transformation more going back into content, user-generated content, for instance, augmented reality and different sorts. So I run different projects that need to be proven in profit contribution to the company. So not on branding, but on performance marketing. Oh, wow. That's an exciting shift. What do you feel like has the most traction out of all of that? Mm, it's all interconnected and it's all lies in content and really coming into being disrupting traditional media. So far, as a, as a consumer, or as a user of social media, we have been targeted so far, you know, with the same ads that we know we saw them and we got the product in front of us. Or maybe with some airlines, you already bought a ticket, but it's like following you through your path. And we're, we're used to that kind of traditional marketing media exposure. And currently the shift I really see it is into doing virtual reality experiences going beyond just the actual display banner that can be offered for you. And I feel like what comes next in terms of 
virtual reality, augmented reality. It is really exciting and how the industry is going to get disrupted. So yeah, th that's one of them. <laughs> Wow, that's really exciting. And you touched on what we're used to on social media. I'd like to talk really quickly about, you know, your experience within social media since you've been working around it for some time here. Can you tell us some of the major differences you've noticed in the approach to targeting audiences on social media now versus five years ago or other elements of it beyond these new ways of handling media? Yeah, absolutely. I think top of mind would be definitely privacy. So back in the day, I remember where I could even have access in some of the companies to device IDs and nothing hash, nothing in terms of privacy. Also because of where I worked before, like I worked also in China, right? So different privacy measures there than in Germany currently. And I guess this is the biggest uh, change and shift it's privacy. So moving away from like, give me as a user, I'll give you more information, and that's really changed, right? Like users want to be told, and we call it the privacy paradox, right? Like users want relevance, but don't want to share data. So yep, that's currently <laughs> the, the, the challenge we live into. So that's the exciting part that we're working now more like on building solutions on more aggregation, obfuscation, for instance. And that's the trends that I see like eight years ago when I worked in Beijing towards right now, working really into, let's say, we don't need the data. We don't need individual data. We need aggregation to show relevant data. So yeah, that's been, the, I guess, the journey when it comes to audience and targeting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and to your point about people wanting that relevance without giving their data, I guess one theme that keeps coming up for me is just how you can continue to show and prove value at every stage and kind of make them feel like they're going to get something excellent for sharing anything. So that's just a, a piece of it too, but interesting to hear your take on. I'd love to dig a little bit more into your history. You've touched a little bit on some of your past experiences. Can you share some of your stories that you know, shaped you and led you to what you're doing now at Zalando and take us back to where it all began. Yeah, sure thing. For me, it all began, begins like in two countries. Um, that's the Netherlands in Utrecht and in Beijing, China. So I was studying international marketing already in the Netherlands and it was all very theory based. And as part of the program, I needed to complete like a minor and an internship to do my thesis. And back then, I decided to actually specialize more in project management and ended up doing like an internship in Beijing for Life in the Box. And back then, I was more on social media content, everything organic. And I was always so curious on like all, because this is like seven years ago, right? So the, the amount of algorithms, the technology was in a different place. And I was just from the marketing standpoint, so amazed on what was possible on digital, but I was limited to organic. So then later on, I did the transition from like more organic into the paid um, media and digital marketing for my previous employer, Delivery Hero. And yeah, there I learned quite a lot. I relocated from China to Berlin and then learned a lot of different channels like SEM, display, uh, paid social and so forth. And yeah, I mean, my time at Delivery Hero was really interesting, provided a lot of like scaling, uh, this startup before IPO, after IPO. And then later oh, I was yeah. ready for <laughs> the next challenge, which was like Zalando, which was really interesting to be recruited to where I'm at right now. And yeah, that's pretty much where it all started and what led me to where I am today. Wow, that's an amazing journey. And I love to hear about your beginnings kind of on the organic side. Do you think that 
having that past experience has kind of shifted your mindset or given you a perspective that some paid marketers don't necessarily have? Yeah, I guess maybe in the awareness of like, what was the most eye-opening part is that back then for the organic social media content we're doing, we were trying to create it, but it didn't have the amount of data that you would use as a digital marketer. And a lot of users would use it as a reference of customer service. So I guess... Oh, help me with this. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, the light in the box, it's a Chinese-based company selling anything into everywhere. And I guess they were before Shein. Ah. So they really had a strong approach into social media content. But a lot of the comments were about where is my order? Because, you know, like, and that's sometimes, especially when you work in paid media, your ads are sponsored. And sometimes people can leave comments. And if those comments are left unattended that can really hurt your brand, right? So we sometimes think it's up there and nothing else happens, but actually it's not the end of the journey. It's not only a purchase. People might come back into a comment to look for their order. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't even really thinking about that, but I imagine that it did take a lot of time and focus just making sure that overall the message that was out there on social was positive with all of these user generated. Yeah, actually we used back then like some automation like through Sendesk just to like pick up because my role wasn't really to like answer all the queries but it was not to leave them unattended. So then working a project to automate and then so the tickets would be generated and they, they would get a response. But yeah, that definitely was a challenge and something to remember as a marketeer. If you're a paid marketeer and there's a section where you have comments, if you don't disable it, it can really hurt your brand. <laughs> Yeah, a good reminder and great advice there. Also a neat bit of your history, getting to kind of work cross-functionally and kind of work with those product folks or whoever else is involved. So I'm sure that's also been helpful. All of these experiences that you've collected into your current role today. Let's talk about some stuff that's upcoming that you're excited about. Maybe you can share about an upcoming initiative that you and your team are working on that you think might be exciting for our audience. Yeah, definitely. So as I was touching base in this augmented reality part, and that's something that has got me and my team very excited in terms of like what's next there, like how are we going to disrupt this media format? And just for the ones that are not so familiar with what is 2D or 3D or AR, it's all about uh, modeling images and creating the experience online. So currently the project that we're working is like, instead of sending products, let's say, let's send in an address for a machine to scan it so it creates a digital asset, it's about how can we skip that step and then just have it like a scan from the, let's say, uh, ghost mannequin from your product sites and turn into experience that people can actually try it on virtually. We're working with one of our partners, Snapchat, on developing this technology and shaping it so it's ready, you know, even to be used as a standard format, which they have been on this augmented reality path for some time. But right now it's happening, the transition in between, okay, let's do a cool branded experience where I can go get like the logo maybe uh, on top of it or like into really like, let me try that product. Does it look good? Let's buy it. Wow, that's so fascinating and sounds really neat as from an end user perspective of being able to do that. So how would you describe the process of working with a partner like Snapchat to develop some of this stuff? What are some elements of it that you've found to be surprising or interesting? Yeah, I think the most important part here is to have that collaboration, right? It's trust on the partnership. 
So really having that transparency and helping each other in, and that's been like a fundamental part of them being a trusted partner where we can, because I mean, these technologies, we can have them in-house and to a certain extent that we have some special projects also in this, but uh, the other one is like, okay, more in the paid media, how can we make it work? And for me, this collaboration has been all about having a good partner, them uh, understanding us and trust. Absolutely. That can roll over to any piece of life too, I suppose. So just overall, really great advice. Awesome. So we talked about what you're really excited about that's in the works. Can maybe you share a past campaign or project that you've owned, maybe something within online media management, something that you'd like to share? Yeah, definitely. Do you mean more like as a campaign type of activation or a project I'd own within working in digital marketing? I honestly, either way that you'd want to go, maybe you can even touch on both if you'd like, or you can just hit on the one that's most top of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can recall a project that I worked in in my previous company, which was like uh, attribution calibration. So trying to measure like the incrementality of a sale. So if we spend 10 euros, does this lead to an incremental sale or would this sale happen anyway? And in this space, this was around four years ago, more or less. So also technologies were at a different stage. And I had to lead the project of making such studies with different partners, with Google, with Meta, with Snap, with a lot of other partners in terms of trying to see what incrementality these are bringing for different stage of the funnel. And that was really exciting. Back then I was a manager and it was great to get this amount of responsibility to coordinate because it was so cross-functional between marketing managers, between marketing tech, and then with the local stakeholders that we needed to opt it in or information to like, you know, run such campaigns, getting the creative. So that was a really interesting project I worked on and it helped me to like gain more ownership and understand a broader beyond the marketing function. Yeah, that big picture. So what was the outcome of that? Were you able to get a good understanding of the incrementality there? Yeah, we had some first tests where we managed to get like incrementality in some of the channels, in some of the countries. And some of them were surprising in terms of, okay, we're not seeing leave or we're getting like challenges on getting the statistical power to run it. And yeah, so I... Actually, at that time, I was also being recruited into Solando, and it oh, was really—I okay. mean, it was—it was really hard to leave. Actually, because of this project, I really liked the the function of it, and it was still like on a baby period, so still not a lot of automation put in through in there. But yeah, it was really exciting project, and it was uh, eye opening from in, in terms of function part. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It, it is sad to leave, but awesome that you got it off the ground and got it into such a fortuitous place. Okay, so. You've talked a little bit about all of these experiences and they're all very positive experiences, but it, some of our growth comes from things that, you know, did, maybe didn't go so well and things that we learned from. So can you share about a campaign that maybe, that maybe was successful or maybe wasn't ever that you had to sunset and how you came to that decision? And maybe you can share some of your learnings from that experience as well. Yeah, definitely. And I like the contrast of the of the question, like, you know, highlights, <laughs> low lights, and there's a lot of learnings yeah, on those. Yeah, highs and lows, roses and thorns. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of that, I remember I was consulting one of the Middle East brands for the Ramadan period. 
So we had the strategy that, you know, in Ramadan, for the ones not familiar, is a time Muslim are fasting. So there will be like, you know, no food ingestion during when there is sun. And then you will have like iftar and so forth. So before the sun rises, you can eat. After the sun sets, you can eat, right? And so we have adapted uh, the communication and our strategy to on performance end to wait for that time. And then when we were running the campaign in the first week of Ramadan, we realized that our algorithms were not understanding anything at all because we was like on and off, on and off, because we were treating them more like on a branding level and the performance algorithms were not adapting good enough. So we were hurting the, the campaign performance. So we really needed to have like a quick turnaround because it's also not such a long period of time that it happens. A bit longer than a week, of course, but still like we needed to be super fast And then we were like, okay, what are we doing? Because our performance metrics are not looking good enough. And this is at the end what we report on, right? So I guess a learning there was that trying to adopt the same strategy on the branding to the performance side was not working. And we had to be very fast to adapt the strategy to go back into, you know, just a general messaging about Ramadan. Because back then uh, the company, what they were offering was food. So super critical. Imagine you get an ad about food when you're fasting. I would be a bit triggered, right? So just to still be sensitive for this audience and not trigger pictures uh, of food while you are fasting. So we just generated more generic messaging for the time being and, and, and so on. So that was a very big learning that trying to do branding campaign in terms of performance can hurt algorithms as it requires more like stable business as usual data. Wow. Yeah, that is very nuanced and important learning. Was there anything else that came of that where you learned this is how we should approach performance compared to brand outside of that example? Yeah, definitely. I have learned a lot about the full funnel experience through my last role in Sadamas. So there we serve as a agency for brands and it would be from all types of inventory from like out of home to your dynamic ads and through all this path. And it was really interesting to see, like, especially in the fashion industry, how different formats we can use and then what kind of logics you can use, right? Well, in branding, you can have like a short and impactful campaign on two, three days, maybe. Then for performance, you need more data for the algorithm to learn and fit it. So you really need to approach like, depending on if you want to go into like more customized audience or broader reach, you're using different mediums and, and formats. So that's been really helpful to learn in terms of like a 360 degree experience on marketing. Wow, amazing. Yeah, no, that's great. And thank you for sharing about your learnings there. Speaking of your learnings and experiences, you've lived an exciting life from what I could see. You've had quite a diverse <laughs> range of experiences. You've lived all over the world, five different countries, three continents. So I would love if you could share how perhaps that exposure to different perspectives and cultures have shaped you and your skills and your leadership. Yeah, definitely. I think that the takeaway of living in these very different cultures has been to increase my awareness of intercultural sensitivity. And that's something I, I have been exposed since a very early age, as mentioned. I have been grown up in a Mexican society, but still I am from the Netherlands. So I always have been exposed to that, but necessarily didn't know it. Through my experiences living abroad, interacting with different people, people from around the world, different culture, different opinions. 
it's really helped me to shape communication on like how to address someone, right? So in terms of, for instance, in Mexico or in high context societies, we can never say something in terms of very direct because that's just considered rude. However, in the Netherlands, if you do that, you can be considered as inefficient or what's happening, right? Because there are low context culture and there's all these type of models. There's a model I really like, the Hofstede model, that places each country into different cultural dimensions in terms of power of distance. So is there a lot of hierarchy in one country where you're from? So for instance, when I worked in China, the company was Chinese Beijing based, meaning that the power of distance, so that relates to hierarchy was very high compared to the power of distance space in Germany or Netherlands, where it's Netherlands even been way lower than in Germany. So all these experiences have helped me understand that depending on where I am or depending, for instance, for my team, uh, one of my team, he is from Colombia and the other one is from China. I have to adapt communication seamlessly and work around like many different cultures. And I think this is the most beautiful takeaway from all the experiences, all the awareness in terms of communication, plus also like very grateful to being able to have those experiences, especially when we're living in very complicated times where not everyone can afford the freedom I have experienced. Definitely. Wow. That is fascinating and really a true testament of appreciation for your experiences and what you are able to share about having had this exposure and how you apply it to your daily life and even as a leader to your team today. For me, my favorite aspect of any kind of traveling experience or abroad experience is just trying to kind of have more of that global mindset. And it sounds like that's been core to you since <laughs> since a very, very early age. So thank you for sharing. And and obviously, it sounds like the benefit of that has been the collection of these experiences and being able to form this perspective that includes so many different inputs. But is it possible to pick your favorite place and why? <laughs> yeah, this is this is a hard one, right? Like when I think about what's my favorite place, it's hard. I don't think I have one favorite place. Or maybe if I, uh, th- this could be a loophole into the question or a workaround into the question. That would be the ocean <laughs> because it covers a lot. Yes! <laughs> That's so, a, yeah, that's a safe zone. Yeah, yeah any ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm mentioning in terms of ocean. So I'm also a diver. I really love diving. It's one of my hobbies. I'm a certified paddy diver. I'm a deep diver. As a fun fact, actually, I've been like, I think the lowest I've been is like 56 meters. Not sure how what's that in inches, but uh, that, that's the lowest I, <laughs> I reached. And, uh, and the first place I discovered, this truly has turned into a passion for me. And it was the Philippines. It was such a groundbreaking experience. I was so scared. I was not having a lot of prep into the dive. And they were a little bit inf- too informal about it and too relaxed about it because the <laughs> yeah, conditions... Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Just like up, down, breathe, don't breathe, just do this. And I, I was panicking, but I was, okay, let's, let's try this. And I had a really kind instructor that walked me through. And of course, it was such an impactful moment. However, it was beautiful down there with all the corals, all the fish. And it was just so beautiful that I forgot about how scared I was and I was really ready to relax and enjoy. So Philippines, it has a special place in my heart. 
That's a wonderful story. And we were catching up a little bit before this about your diving experience and how it can get a little confusing down there about where in the world you are. So that's how that can fit into our loophole question, because there's not a clear understanding of maps when you're just down below the ocean. Yeah, no borders. Yeah, there you go. But that's wonderful. And and amazing that you found that passion of yours through that experience and with that kind instructor and being in the Philippines that you can have that for yourself, which is so important to supplement our work and everything we do with something that we truly love. So thank you for sharing about that. Kind of along the same gear of personal development, we love talking about mentorship on our show. Do you have any mentors or advice that you've received that shaped your perspective or trajectory? Yeah, I have one person in mind when it comes to like mentorship and inspiration in terms of leadership. So at my previous company, just to have this lead, I think at the time he was global head of SEM or something like this. And I'm talking about him as he was. Unfortunately, he passed away to cancer. And he was such an inspiring person, so kind, so smart, so humble. He really shaped a lot in terms of like how I see leadership today and how he created such an inclusive and harmonious place of working and motivated and inspired everyone. So he's someone, I think, on a daily basis about how he was such a great person, such a great lead. And he's helped me in this part of discovering leadership because nobody teaches you to be a leader. I mean, sometimes some somebody can get a bit more nature in terms of leader uh, traits, but still it's something where you need to do your homework. And whenever I'm in such situation, I, I, I tend to think, what would Julian do? That's one Aww. of my questions. And yeah, I, I owe him a lot. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, you know, some of those qualities that you just outlined about him are shining through through you. So those traits are living on through you. And that's wonderful. On the topic of advice, do you have any advice for our listeners that are interested in growing their careers in digital marketing? Or just generally. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would say that especially, I mean, depends on what stage you are, right? For the ones that are in the stage of learning and all these theories and so on. I remember being back there and, you know, living the Kotler Bible with the apple, like three. I guess it was an apple tree from Butler with the principles of marketing and fundamentals. There's a lot of theory in the marketing field, especially when you're studying it. But I would say do an internship try it out or just get an entry level position just to see like if this is something that you like. And with marketing, it's really good to have that basis of theory. But the power is when you try doing things with your own hands and experimenting and so on. And that's really for the ones who are listening that are in the very beginning at studying. For the ones that maybe are already like at the junior stage is feel free to like testing. You can learn so much by testing get more into like statistics. You don't have to understand the super advanced ones, but just fundamentals enough that it will gather your learnings through the path. And those are learnings that you will have at your current role, but you can always take away because that, that's the power of statistical significance, that it's still externally valid. So just don't be scared, try it out. And for the ones that maybe are have been in marketing for too long and in the same path, you can always experiment and talk to your leaders and see if there's another part of marketing that you would like to try or another function. And this is really like, I think it's all up to you and how you want to shape it. But yeah, for the one starting, just get your hands dirty. It's fine. Deep dive into the data and it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, there's so much that goes into marketing and there usually are opportunities to, even if you don't completely change function, at least like help out on a project or shadow something or just get involved a little bit and see if it's something that piques your interest because there's a lot of levers and a lot going on within marketing arms of organizations. It doesn't get boring. So. It never does. No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so you already shared a little bit about, you know, something that maybe we wouldn't have necessarily known from a Google search or LinkedIn search, but outside of what you shared, is there anything else that we should know about you that we wouldn't otherwise be able to find except through this perfectly <laughs> segmented podcast. Yeah, I think I, I should have wait my for my answer on, on the diving side. I mean, another thing that people wouldn't know about me that I also already mentioned, unfortunately, is this like that I have been grown up into two cultures, like the Dutch society and also the Mexican society. So I guess some people could crack it down by my last names. I normally don't use the second last name. So I guess that people wouldn't necessarily find out the, the origin, <laughs> my country of origin. And then I think people could find it out if they wanted to. It, like if people actually like do a Google search, they would find what my last name really means, which is means in Dutch, it, it is a little chicken. <laughs> so yes. that's what my last name means. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. My last name is actually Dutch too, Vandiver, but I, I yeah, don't know I saw it. What, it, what it means. <laughs> Maybe it means bigger chicken. I don't know. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so we're just gonna kind of close out here with a really fun little lightning round and ask a few questions, a little app related. So you don't have to think too much about this. We're just keeping it light and keeping it fun. But for the first question, if you had to delete all the apps you had and you only had one left, what would it be? Would the Google search as count as an app? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, that means that you don't even need an app. You can just erase them all. <laughs> well, it leads you to more information. I mean, just the source of information, right? For yeah. Me, that's like super important. But I guess like, okay, if we really nail it down to an app, I think it could be Spotify. Like I'm addicted to oh, Spotify. Same. You and me both. I just love it. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So she needs to Google search. She's got to have her music and podcast and, and everything there. Awesome. So next, I wonder if this will be an underwater creature, but if you had an app to talk to one animal and one animal alone, what would it be? I think you're getting to know me very fast. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, this would be an octopus. I'm fascinated oh, by they're them. So smart. They're smart and they're like, I mean, I guess uh, more, a lot of people saw my octopus teacher. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. I've seen it three times. I'm obsessed. It's so touching. Yeah, I cried is. like eight times in the movie. Yeah, it is. And through my last travels, so I was uh, taking a break in Egypt, just holiday break, probably at the wrong time because it was August, which means it was really, really hot. But I went there for diving and I had this amazing opportunity. I was just snorkeling and by five meters of the shore, there was this octopus. And normally you wouldn't see them because they their camouflage is next level. And so then I just saw like, blinking. I was like, wait, is that an octopus? And it was an octopus. I think I stayed around 40 minutes just observing him because I didn't have a tank, right? So I was like, just kind of free diving. And I mean, we just observed each other and I was thinking, what is he thinking? You know? Oh man. Yeah. So we also need you to be able to time travel to that exact situation so we can have you talk to this specific octopus because I want to know what he was thinking too. Wow, that's an incredible thing to notice and to have that experience. 
And the crazy part is that I even had it recorded, right? Because I was with the GoPro. So yeah, I, I had this interaction recorded the whole time. <laughs> wow. Okay, great. So skip the time travel because we got the recording. We can just use that to talk to it. Perfect. Okay, last one. What is the most unlikely app on your phone? Hmm. Yeah, I think this one is a bit funny because Berlin had just launched an app about Visit Berlin. So it's aimed at tourism, but I still download it because I love to know what else keeps on happening on Berlin, even if I'm living in Berlin for about, I mean, first time in Berlin for me was 2013. So almost 10 years ago was my, the first time I lived in Berlin and been back and forth. But yeah, I have this tourist app on my phone, which is really unlike it because I kind of know the city, <laughs> but I still like, you know, love to learn what else is happening in the city. It's an awesome city and a lot going on. I really enjoyed my quick visit there. And yeah, I'm sure that you learn stuff from this app all the time. So why not? That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, that concludes what we had scheduled for the day. I really enjoyed getting to know you, hearing about your story and your passions and your trajectory and your career. It's been a really lovely conversation. Thank you so much for sharing with everyone. And if you have any last words to share before we sign off, we can do that. But otherwise, goodbye, everyone. Yeah, thank you, Amanda, for making the time and keeping this really interactive and really nice experience to have too. It's really like talking to a friend. So yeah, looking forward to talking to you in the future, maybe. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And that concludes it. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, Keep growing.